listen, she doesn't know what's best for you. Your yep. parents don't know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. But here's what I know. You're going to die someday. Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. This week, I have James Schrader joining me. He's a comic, writer, and actor. He is also the star of the commercial for Dr. Squatch Soap. You've probably seen it all over YouTube. It has over 300 million views right now. Very impressive. James, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. So how are you doing right now with uh, everything going on this year? I've dubbed it the year of uh, many disasters. What's going on uh, on your side of things? Um, I'm lucky to still have a job. I mean, I do. I feel fortunate there. We're, you know, between uh, William Painter, we've been writing. We've actually filmed uh, two weeks ago. We filmed a, a new spot, so that's in the works of being edited. Uh, we just shot a new Doctor Squatch commercial this past week. So, I mean, I've been writing like crazy, kind of just trying to get my life organized. Like the quarantine was kind of like this forced introspective thing of like, okay, what can I fix in my home because I can't go anywhere else, kind of thing. Yeah. You know? So. And also, like being a dad, I'm a I'm a, uh, a single dad, if you will. I mean, I don't know how to say it. Whatever. Her mom's still around, but I still like I have a daughter. She's two. I've gotten to spend a ton of time with her, and I'm loving that part of it. Uh, I wish I could take her more places and do more things, but we've like figured out how to, you know, just be, you know, occupied here and and growing, and and I'm loving that part of it. Um, but I'm just I'm just glad that when I don't have my daughter, I have work to do. We have scripts to write and ideas, and I'm still writing comedy constantly too. So it's been uh, a lot of reading, a lot of reflection, a little bit more guitar playing, a little bit more stretching and exercising, you know, as, as well as the work and just being a dad. So it's uh it's scary because it's not over, and, and you know, with, especially with a kid, it adds a whole nother level of of kind of paranoia to it of like you know do, do i go back i need that thing do i go back to the grocery store is that a you know right i don't know it's just terrifying once you have a kid that like one little thing you could do you could bring home to your kid and get them sick with a thing that probably won't affect them probably but if it does how terrifying is that yeah i can't imagine like being a parent right now and, and having to deal with all that um you know i i worry about my grandparents especially during this time. But, um, you know, having a kid to look after right now must be just a challenge. Definitely. I mean, it's a challenge anyways. It's yeah. It's uh, <laughs> without the global pandemic part. Yeah. Without the global pandemic, it's it was the most educational thing I've ever done as far as just being a human. And uh, and then now add this layer to it. And uh, it, it sure makes you think and it sure points out like when you get comfortable and all of a sudden you're like, ah, I did, you know, I went to the store an extra time or did I really need to do that thing? Or how far was I standing from that person in line? Right. In, in, you know, it's just, it's a lot, man. It's all, it's all happening. I'm sure. There's silver lining to it. And, and I think people are more aware. I, it's funny. Like I'm talking to my mom, my mom's 75. I talk to her more now than I did before. And that doesn't make sense. Why? because why wouldn't I be talking to my mom as much, you know? So I think there's some silver linings to it where people are actually communicating more, you know, unfortunately, it's like not in person though. It's like this, but right. I don't know. I feel, yeah. I think it gives people like extra time to think about their situation. Like you said, and do some introspection. 
Um, so you so. mentioned, yeah, I, I mean, I it's an important time to do that. Yeah, like if you just come out of this and you're like, guys, I rewatched The Office start to finish three times, <laughs> and you're like, like, I can't. I I had an issue because I was I, I was talking to somebody I knew, and it was somebody else that, that had a kid, and they made the comment they're like, oh, I'm just so bored right now, and I was like, who has time bored? to be bored? Yeah, like you're being for like that. It was just hard for me to hear because it's like there is so much to be done in your own home, in your own body, in your own brain, that now they're like forcing you to do it. And trust me, I'm binge watching shows too. I'm pro I get on my own case about like, I'm probably watching too much television. Yesterday, yeah. I didn't do a whole lot. And today <laughs> I feel guilty about that. I really do. Right. So you're gonna load everything onto today. Yeah, cause I look at what I could have done. Okay, you know, I have plans to like do things around the house to, you know, make it more a better, place for my daughter to grow up and like I want to put in you know more like you know I have the alphabet on the wall and the numbers on the wall and I want to put some shapes and some things and you know and yesterday I could have done those things and I didn't which I also need to forgive myself and just be okay with guess what take a day burn a day yeah it's okay you need it you, you had a, a, a couple really long days this week of, of writing and working and shooting and maybe you just need to do nothing and eat junk food all day you know maybe yeah, that I mean that that's okay too. I think it's it's got to be a mix. I think is the most important part. Like you you definitely need to get stuff done, but um, this time also gives us time to, you know, like you said, be introspective, reach out to people that you might normally not talk to enough. Um, but then also like you know take a mental health day. Just be like I'm I'm gonna sit on the couch and uh, and watch The Office because that's that's what I need for today. I've been working hard and getting stuff done. I, I get it, you know, I get it. And it's, uh, it, I think the hardest part is the, is the giving yourself permission to do both to, I'm going to give myself permission to just be a productive maniac today. And then the next yeah. day, give yourself permission to do nothing. Yeah. You know, just do not, you know, even to unplug, like I, I tried to unplug yesterday for a good portion of the day. It was like, I'm just, I don't want to, why am I, why do I keep reaching for my phone? stop reaching you just put it you know yeah. don't need it yeah yep. like last night i went and i and I, I have like a little i have a little yard that uh has enough room to like put down like a yoga mat and this little patch of grass and i just laid down around sunset time and i was like oh i should listen to a podcast oh i've got that book i wanted to start oh i did it i was like how about you just lay down and stare at the clouds yeah like when do you take time to do that ever Right. And we don't because in your mind, there's like, oh, but there's that book I need to read that podcast. Like there's so much that's like, ah, I need to consume and I need to get it in. And ah, and that's true. You Too should. Much. Right. If yeah. it is. But at the same time, you have to be like, all right, Take a stare step at back. the clouds. Yeah. Yeah. Just lay down, do some stretching. Think about the day. Think about your week. Process the things you're going through. Process the last, you know, week with your kid where, hey, you know what? Wow, she seems to be responding like this now. And like, oh, she definitely hit like some new stage of development because she's like, you know, she's setting her own boundaries and she's making it very clear that like, she doesn't want the things I want, which is part of the process. She's two and a half, this is gonna happen. And like, how should I, you know, how am I responding to that? Am I, am I just pushing back and being like, you do what I say? Or am I being like, hey, that's right, you are a person. How do you wanna move, you know? There's so much reflection to be done on every area of our life, which again, could totally be overwhelming in itself, which is why right. you just want to stare at the office all day. But 
Give yourself permission to do those things. Give yourself permission to do nothing. Give yourself permission to eat a bag of chocolate. If it's, you know, and then the next day you have a salad, like, you know, the moderation, do it. Right. I, I totally agree with that. And you mentioned your daughter several times and you've also in your bio on your website, you talk about how you're a human and a father. That's some, those were two things that I noticed in your bio that like, you don't really see people like putting those things down. And I think like that goes into what you're talking about, like giving yourself permission to say like, I am a human, I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna have really productive days where I'm like getting it done and I'm killing it. But I'm also gonna have days where I sit on the couch and I eat chocolate and I watch The Office. But how for you, like becoming a father and you said your daughter's two and a half, how has that affected your career? And, and how do you continue to do comedy like surrounding that? Like, have you changed anything up because of that? Uh, I have more material because I'm a dad and it added a whole new lens to look at life, you know, to look, yeah. to look through, to, to, to observe life and comment. Um, I have never been more motivated. I've been doing comedy now in San Diego. Well, I mean, I started, I started eight years ago now and my daughter's two and a half. I have never been more motivated. Like she was born and all of a sudden you're just like your entire world changes. And even then I was, st I was doing, show you know, like right now with the, with the, the shutdown and everything, like I haven't been on stage. I don't, I can't remember the, I think it was February the last time I was on stage. Like it's been months, which as a comic is like, ah, like I am Jones and to get back on stage while at the same time, right. like, I'm not like clubs are opening up. I know that there's clubs and I've been contacted and people have offered to feel you know, like, Hey, do you want to do the weekend? Or, Hey, do you want to do, we're going to have a show here at this bar because it's open now. And I'm still in the mode of like, I'm going to wait another month. I'm going to see how this works. Like, I don't like the idea of being in a, in a sealed basement with the AC blowing everyone's sneezes <laughs> around while standing on the stage, even at 25% capacity, if it's an hour long show, that's a lot of points of contact for an extended period of time. I don't know what to believe anymore because it seems like one week this is what the who says and then the next week this is what some other scientist says and then this thing got, you know, mad. I don't know. So it's like I'm busy enough. I have the time with my kid. Uh, but since she was born, like, I am more motivated now to write better material, to write material that, that I don't want to say matters because I, I hate assigning that it's like the comedian's job or any performer's job or creator's job to make a difference or do things like part of me looks at, you know, a comedy show. And even with, with like COVID, I don't know if I'm going to have any COVID material. I haven't written any, I've written things during the COVID thing. So it's in some way informed by that. But to me, I'm like, when this thing kind of finally opens back up, there's going to be plenty of comics doing COVID material. I don't know yeah. if I need to be that comic. I Is that like a cop-out? Is that a cop-out to use COVID material? Not if it's funny. Nothing's a cop-out. That, that's that's the key thing. Yep, exactly. So the question is, is it, I don't feel a need to do COVID material unless I write. If something hits me and I write it down and it's funny, I'll tell that. I'll do it. But, I, but at the same time, part of me goes, everyone's been living a COVID life for months now. And when the time finally comes that they like, go out and they park the car and they make the decision to go sit in a club with only 25% occupancy and they have a table between everybody that's empty and we're all trying to be safe. In my mind, if I can steal their brain away from all that, if I can give them yeah. a break 
to let them forget for a moment that that's happening and has been happening. That's my real goal. That And that was my goal before COVID. Like, part of me wants to just, you don't have to think about all your problems. Like like you said, like I, I put the first thing I am on my, th- is like I'm a human. And, and it doesn't matter what kind of human you are, every single human wakes up a human and that's hard enough, let alone any other situation that's on your shoulders because of where you were born, what color you were born, what religion you were born, those add to it. But you were still born a human and you have parents and relationships and expectations and insecurities and mental health issues because we all know we're in that world. And thank God that's yeah. finally coming out, which is a huge thing with everything that's going on in, in society right now. Like how much of this is whatever, we don't have to get it. But like if these people are here and they took the time, I don't want to remind them of all the shit they're already losing their mind about. Yeah. I want them to forget that and take them on a journey that they feel connected, they feel understood maybe, they feel like somebody else is experiencing something I'm experiencing and it's it has nothing to do with the COVID. It has to do with just the relationship with their parents or their relationship with their kid or how they you know spent their weekend. And so to me, it's like there's so much else going on that we can just take a break and give them a break. That's kind of my goal. So I, I guess going back, it's like, I don't know if I really want to get into COVID. I don't know if I want to get it. I, I want to give everyone a break from the things that are honestly just nonstop machine gunning their 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 consciousness right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think like going back to like you being a comedian with your daughter and you know, you've like much more content because you're seeing it through that different lens. I think something that we see is like, a lot of comics like to use uh, personal stories because that's what's going to be the funniest. And that's like reality, I think, is like the funniest thing ever. You in can't certain write situations. it. The funniest you thing can't, you yeah. can't write. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you see all these comics that like talk about their kids and stuff like that. Do you worry that you're going to get to a point where like you share one of those personal stories and your kid is negatively affected by it or they're not happy that you shared that one day? That's a concern. Even just like, I mean, I, I, I went as far as in the beginning I posted, uh, I was posting like on my Instagram and Facebook and stuff. I was posting pictures of me and my daughter and I was doing this one thing where like I was doing pushups all the time and my daughter was like a year old and crawling around underneath me and it was really adorable and it was cute. And I was like, I want to be healthier. So I'm doing these things. I'm going to be accountable. So I'm going to do them online. And then I kind of had a thought and it was interesting looking at what other comedians and other, you know, people out there in the public eye were doing. And all of a sudden I had this realization that like, do I one, do I want my daughter's face everywhere as I grow in this industry and as I get more recognizable and things like that, you know, like, mm-hmm. like that's happening with these commercials. We have over 300 million views. It is a new and still strange experience to me. I took my daughter to the beach uh, a few days ago and we just had our own little kind of area away from people, set up a blanket. She's playing in the water right in front of me. I'm playing with her. And some, a couple walked past and some guy just stopped and was like, are you James Schrader? And he's, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, this is my hometown. So I'm like, I, I don't, yeah. do, do I know you? Like, how do I know you? Like, are you, you know, I'm sitting there trying to like, oh shit, I forgot somebody's name. I'm the asshole. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and he was like, oh, I'm just a fan. I love your career. And I was like, oh, that's great. But it's still like, it's a strange thing and that's happening more. So that all of a sudden is like, oh, if I'm posting pictures of my daughter and doing this and I'm putting her out there 
does she want that? Is that fair to her? You know, the, you see some some comics out there with kids. Their kids are all over their social media. Other comics, mm-hmm. like one of the big ones, like Ali Wong, covers her children's face in every mm-hmm. photo. She'll be holding them, but she'll put like a sticker over their face or something. And part of me's like, that might be the way to because like she didn't she didn't ask for this. I made this decision. She didn't make this decision. She's two and a half. Like you can't ask her either. Yeah, yeah. So it's something I go back and forth on with that of like, what is the right way to do it? I don't know. Well, at the same time, it's funny. You look at like, weird as this sounds like Joe Rogan has an Instagram account for his dog and his dog has like hundreds of thousands of followers. And (laughs) unfortunately in this world, followers, actual followers equal currency. And so it's the thing of like, like I have another friend that's a, he's a director up in LA and his son has like a Facebook and his son's seven now Facebook and Instagram. And like, he's like, and he posts his own stuff. Like he makes little robots wow. and he does these science projects and his kid has a following. And in my mind, there's part of me that looks at that and goes, that kid's going to have a million followers by the time he's 20. Like, is he going to be ready for that? Give him ability to do things. Well, if he's growing up with it, he might be more ready than all of us that it just kind of happened you know, while before yeah. we were here, or, or how should I say it? it happened to us like instantly where he's going to grow up within it and maybe it won't be a big deal, but he'll have that currency of like, what do I want to do? I want to be a musician. I want to make robots. I want to be a programmer. I want to make an app. I want to be a photographer, or a painter. I have these people that are already interested in my story and that that helps the success of, you know, the creation. Or does it steer that because now you feel like you have an obligation to serve these people that have been following you since you were seven and maybe you don't create the truest art to your soul because you feel like you have to give these people what they're asking for or want, which is probably you don't even know. So you're creating that narrative in your own head and, you know, delivering something. Yeah, it's a lot. So I, I don't know what to do there. I'm still yeah. up in the air with it. I think the safer move for me right now is to take my daughter out of all of it and just be, you know, realize how I'm affected and the lens that I look through at life now. So, cause it's definitely, man, once you have a kid, it's all different. So strange. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's, I think, and I mean, I'm not personally a father, so I'm not going to make too many comments about being a father. Cause I don't know shit about it. But to me, it's like, if you're welcoming a new life like into the world, that's gotta be the craziest thing that like any person can ever do is to conceive. And like, you're like, I created this, this tiny little human that's in front of me. Like I, if that doesn't change your whole world, like you said earlier, like I, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) Something, something like, ma'am. Yeah. One. Yeah, exactly. You're watching this being that like is literally a little part of you come into the world and start reacting with it. And, and it like my mentality with so much has changed, like protecting her. I'm not, I'm not a confrontational person. I'm not a violent person. I, I haven't been in a fight since second grade. Like it's just not in me. Did you win that fight? No, I got sucker punched in the throat and I fell down and cried. Oh boy. You know, second grade shit yeah yeah of course but it's the kind of thing where like now i have a daughter it's like i i feel like there's like a little switch that flips in your head and all of a sudden you're like oh i'll just kill everybody like i'll just (laughs) 
don't yeah like i i don't now i see see situations and i'm like i catch myself being like well i let's put it this way i've never thought more about what can be broken and stabbed into somebody's throat or crotch more in my life since i've had a kid of like if something happens there's a wine glass well you shatter the glass you shove it right through their neck that's over who's next like I don't know Done. why I'm thinking these things, but yeah, but I will not, I will not hesitate to gouge both of your eyes out if you come at me and my kid. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but you, this is how my mindset is. I don't know how it's going to end, but you will definitely not have one of your eyes and your dick may never work again. I'm going for eyes and dicks. <laughs> That's it. That's there it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. So if you want to bring that, that, that battle here, you're going home with a patch and possibly a bag that you piss in for the rest of your life. Like, I don't know, but I, I'm in a that's fatherhood. zone now. No, but that's fatherhood, you know? Like, if if that's not who you become as a father, again, like, what, you know, what's going on? I love that. That's great. Um, so you mentioned you've had over 300 million views on a lot of these commercials. You've written for these commercials. You've acted in these commercials. What is it like to kind of be in that situation where you're being recognized and things like that. And did you ever think, you know, when you were younger that doing commercials like this would be such a large part of your acting career? I had no, I mean, I didn't know when I was younger, I didn't think any of this was, even. I didn't think comedy was possible. I didn't start being, a, I didn't start actively trying to be a comedian until I was 30. Like I did it. I did it once in like seventh grade. I performed in front of like my middle school I did it once when I was in college, when I was like 20, and then I didn't do it for 10 more years. And and then I really decided to go for it when I was 30, and and that was now eight years ago. And so, like, to me, I didn't know, I didn't think, I would watch comedy constantly as a kid, and in my mind I was like, oh, that looks like so much fun. I think I could do that, but, like, I don't even know how you do that. Like, I'm just some kid from a small town. That's not in my future. And so all of this is just like, even when I was in comedy, this wasn't my goal. Commercials wasn't my goal. I just happened to be doing a show on a Thursday night at, at the Madhouse Comedy Club in San Diego. And the COO and the CEO and like three of the other people from uh, Raindrop Marketing happened to be at the show. And then they were working with Dr. Squat and they needed a, a face and they just reached out. And we're like, hey, we think you'd be good for this. Do you have any interest? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a broke comedian. I'd love to do Does it pay money? <laughs> and it's, yeah. So they brought me in and we did, we worked together and we wrote together and, and we came up with a script and we shot, we went up to the woods up in, uh, up in like Alpine, like an hour east of San Diego. And we shot this commercial like in the back in somebody's backyard. And now that commercial has 110 million views and led to a bunch of other commercials and stuff. So it's like, I had no idea this was even an option. I had no idea this was a thing. I had no idea I had the skill set until somebody kind of was like, hey, we think you'd be good. Do you want to try? And it kind of, it fell into place and it all worked. And, and, and we're still learning. Like if you think of what we knew then and what we know now and how we're writing and how we're doing things. But I think a lot of it was luck and a lot of it was time and place. And, and I found the skill set that I didn't realize I even had. So. Um, I had no idea this could be even an option. Yeah. I mean, that's also like to that credit, 
you have to kind of jump on some of these opportunities, even if you don't really understand like what it's going to have for you. I feel like, like if you're just passing up every opportunity that comes because it's not like exactly what you want to do, you're not going to get anywhere. I think you should be open to everything. Well, at the same time, like since this has happened, I will say like, I, I have a lot of very kind of peripheral like, you know, because of this, because of the exposure, which is great for the company and things like that. But my DMs, my email, <laughs> I've got a barbecue place in St. Louis. Will you do a commercial? We have a thousand dollars. And I'm like, the thousand dollars doesn't cover the writing. Not even me. Like, first of all, yeah. you don't need me. You need a team of writers. Like, no, I didn't write any of these things alone. Raindrop mm -hmm. has a wonderful team of writers that I've written with on a number of things. Emmy award winning. They just won their second Emmy for commercials. Um, and William Painter, we have a writing team there that, that, that's like our in-house team. Uh, and so it's like, I'm not writing all of this myself. I, I, I can't produce the things myself. I'm not the production company. I'm not the director. I'm not the three grips on site. I'm not the lighting guy and the sound guy. But people for some reason think that. And they're like, hey, how much for you to make us one? We have $1,000. I'm like, that doesn't <laughs> cover the sound guy for the day. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. He's, got, he's, he's literally wearing $6,000 worth of equipment and holding the boom pole. Like, that's just the sound guy, let alone the camera. That's the other crazy thing that's blowing my mind in this. We used on the last shoot we did because now everything is so accessible and now like smaller production companies can afford this stuff. We used the same camera they shot. Um, um, oh, I just had it in my head. Iron Man. Really? We used the same camera they used to shoot Iron Man. That's crazy. To shoot a sunglasses commercial because now the quality <laughs> can be that good. So it's like, with yeah. somebody, you know, you have to look at opportunities as they come to you and realize like, are they. Are they a tangent off the thing you're doing and still like related to it? Or is it like, you know, I'm there's some stuff I've been off where I'm like, I wouldn't, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that product. I've, I'd never use that product. I'd never, you know, somebody talked to me about a waterbed thing. I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of waterbeds. I don't want a waterbed. I'm not going to do a commercial for a waterbed. They'll give you a free one if you do it though. If you do that commercial, you're going to get a free waterbed. That's perfect. A waterbed. That's the thing. Like it's, <laughs> it's interesting like that. And and I asked that's something else I learned is when it first started, especially in the beginning, like I got a number of offers to do stuff and I did commercials for stuff. And at first it was just Squatch and then it was Squatch and, and a couple other things. And, and I liked it and I was learning. And then I got offered to do one and I won't give specifics about it because it was, it doesn't matter, but I did it. And when I did it, I realized while I was doing that, like, I don't know if I'd ever buy this, this product. And I said yes to this because it was the job that I was doing. At that point, I was writing for the marketing firm. I was doing things. And I'm not saying it's not that should buy it, but I'm on screen saying, like, this is the thing, and it's the best, and it's the da-da-da. And the truth is, if I would to do my research, I don't know if I would do that thing. I don't know if I would purchase that product for that application. And that was like when I learned that like, oh, you can't just say yes to everything. You know, and at the time I was barely, I was a struggling, you know, actor guy that just got out of a, a divorce. So that's like trying to pay for a life and have a job. And I was a stay at home dad before that doing some of this stuff in comedy at night on the side. 
And then all of a sudden, like I'm, uh, I'm out on my own supporting an apartment, supporting my daughter when I have her supporting my, you know, it was a lot. And I said, yes. And then on set, I'm on camera being like, da, 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 da. and then in my head, I'm like, all right, you just learned that sometimes you need to say no. You know, yeah. sometimes if you're, if you're not in it, if you don't believe in it and you wouldn't use it yourself, that's a no. The, the, the $1,000 they, they paid you for the day sounds great and you need it. But at what point is your, you know, your, your soul happy, you know? So I, I learned that one. I'm glad I learned that one early. Um, but that's something too, like, don't just, you can't say yes to everything. Say no to like most of it, but you need to be open to saying yes to the right things, even when they're scary. So, yeah. And I yeah. wish more people, I wish more people would encourage young people to go after the things they want. I felt like the reason in my mind that comedy was never even an option or acting or anything like that as a kid was because I don't feel like, and my parents I would consider very supportive people, but they were never like, go do it, go for it. What do you want? Like they never were like, what do you want to do? What do you like doing? They were supportive of anything I went and did or wanted to do, but they never actually were like, but what do you want to do? What do you like doing? How do we encourage that? They were more like, well, go to college, get a degree, get a job, then figure out whatever you're, whatever you want to do. But you should, you know, you, these are the steps that you follow because they came from, excuse me, they came from a generation where their parents came through the depression and they were raised with the mentality their parents, that my grandparents were telling my parents, you, if you have a job, you be thankful you have that job and you do everything in your power to keep it Yeah. where, you know, and then they, so they pass that on to us of like, you get an education, you get a job, you'd be thankful you have that job. And I look now at my daughter and I'm like, nope, what do you want? What do you want to do? How do you want to spend your time? Your time on this planet is limited. You only get so much happiness is not the career happiness is not the possessions happiness is your journey how you did it were you doing things for yourself and, and for your community not how nice a car do i have how big a house do i have what's on my business card like i, I worked in construction for 10 years and the reason why i left i was in the office the, the last five years that i was in the office running all the books all the the invoicing all the estimates all the the government stuff because we were do we were in the construction industry and you know we're doing permits road closures um contracts with department of transportation and i'm doing all this stuff and i just realized one day like what the hell am i doing i'm like okay i'm smart enough to do this but why was that why did it take me so long to realize i don't want to do any of this this is how i want to spend my life I sit at a desk and the piles just keep coming up and I keep doing the stuff and then the piles show up and I keep. It's just repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, but you know, and, and, and so I feel for people that just get into that mentality. They're like, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, but this get, makes the money that then allows me to be happy because I can buy the things and do things. And, and, and if you're really happy, I guess that's fine. But I just realized that like, Oh, I'm not happy. And then when, from the day I quit, and then I decided it was right after that, that I decided to be a comedian, like to go out. And I literally like sold everything I had and got rid of it. I built out the back of my pickup truck so I could camp in it. 
And I spent, I spent five months driving around the country doing open mics and couch surfing. And then I got to San Diego and I lived on a futon for a year. And, and I was just doing comedy and open mics and learning and doing that. And I had never had less money and been more happy in my entire life because I was doing this thing that I truly believed in myself and the skill set that I that I that I thought I might have, but now I'm actually putting it to practice and and getting better and progressing within the comedy scene, within my own skill set, within performing, joke writing, and and there was no money. I mean, I didn't I didn't make. I've been doing this eight years, and now right now, as of the past year, I make a living doing these commercials. Before that. I either was, I was a stay at home dad for a year and, and my wife at the time had, had a good job and could, could support us. And before that I had part-time jobs that covered just enough for me to be broke so I could do comedy. And I was yeah. happier than I've ever been. Cause it wasn't and about the now, money though. Truthfully, it's interesting. Now you get to this point where like, I have a job and we're making these commercials and the, the, I have consistent money that I know that like I can, you know, my daughter and I have healthcare. I can pay for my rent. Uh, I have I have a thousand dollars in my savings account. Like, it's not it's not craziness, but it's like security. I feel that, and I can breathe. Right. But now there's that as weird as it sounds. There's there's that much more stress that like, all right, we got another commercial coming up. Is it funny enough? Is it going to work and sell product? Uh, am I going to be able to perform? You know, that day when we decide to shoot. Is that going to be good? Are we going to get what we need to edit it into a, a, a good commercial? You know, so there's different pressures and different things. And and but if you love it, like they say, you know, if you do what you love, you won't work a day in your life. And I agree with that. But at the same time, you at some point need to. Once people start paying you to do the thing you love, all of a sudden there's extra pressure and responsibility. I think right. it's either Seinfeld or Chris Rock. When they were like, once there's a comma on your paycheck, you can't fail anymore. No, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to fail anymore. When you go and do something and there's a comma on that paycheck, you can't be like, ah, we tried today. Didn't work. Nope. Yeah. Before that, when you're just a comic, you're like, no, you're failing constantly. Every night's a failure. You can get off stage and, the, and, and as far as everyone else is concerned, you had a great set, but in your mind, you're like, I forgot that tag. I fumbled that word. I totally skipped that one joke I wanted to try. This thing that I wrote that I thought was going to be really good didn't get a laugh. Like, am I even any good at this? Like, you know, you tear yourself down, and then all of a sudden, that's the, that's the freedom before there's money attached to it, to fail, which right. you have to. Like, I tell people all the time when it comes to the writing, whether it's commercials or jokes, 90%. I don't have my book on me right here. It's at my desk. But 90%, I always have like a little uh, moleskin notebook on me in my pocket all the time. And that's where I write ideas. Something hits me, get the idea down, right? 90% of that stuff doesn't even make it to the stage. 10% of it gets to the stage and 10% of that works. So 1% of everything I write actually works. But that doesn't even mean it's good. You know what I mean? It just like, kind of works. Yeah. Yeah. You have to throw so much spaghetti at the wall to get these things. Like, you know, I've been doing comedy for eight years and I have a real 40 minutes that I really believe in on stage that I know is like, I can hit this 40 minutes 
it's tried and true and it's never tried and true because you do an early show and that joke crushes 200 people lose their minds you do the late show same joke nothing you know you never know why the way you look the way you moved you took a breath at the wrong point you know just didn't work yeah but but at the same time you got to be free to fail and then the people start paying you and also you're like i'm not allowed to fail it's not there anymore Right. Well, it's it's the whole concept too, and I talk to a lot of people about this that are successful now. It's like that failure early on is so so important to your brand and whatever you do. Because to me, you learn so much more from that failure than you do from that success. Like if I fail at something, well, like if, learning to. I was going to say learning to yeah. fail. That's something I didn't learn when I was younger. I was terrified to fail. I, I wouldn't do things unless I thought I was good enough at it to like fake it. And now right. I realize like, why is that? Like, so, like I, all I want to instill in my daughter is that fail constantly. Don't be afraid to fail in front of people. Cause when you do, you get back up, you get back on the bike or yeah. you go, this one wasn't for me. I tried it. I failed. And I realized I don't ever need to do that thing again. That's fine too. I encourage yeah. everybody to go do stand up. Everyone thinks they're funny. Everyone's like, oh, I've always, people come up to comics all the time and they're like, you know, my friends say I'm funny and I've always wanted to get on stage and da, 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 da. What should I do? And I'm like, you should get on stage. You should go do that. And I encourage Denver, even if you're not interested, find an open mic, write a couple of jokes. Don't worry about whether you have three minutes or five minutes, write, write, you know, just don't go over, but write 10 jokes because you think you're a funny person and you go to that open mic, don't invite your family, don't invite your friends. This is for you. If you're doing it for them, it's already the wrong thing. But go on stage and choose to be very uncomfortable. Public speaking is the largest fear on the planet. The fear, biggest human fear on the planet, public speaking. Yeah. So I encourage everyone, write a few jokes down, go to an open mic, go on stage, say those things into the microphone, walk off the stage and go on with the rest of your life. You will either... Go on with the rest of your life as if it never happened. And by by the way, you will be fine. You will have just chosen to be uncomfortable. And then on the other side of it, you're fine. And you can go on with your life as if it never happened. Or you will get bit by the bug. You will you will realize the the pleasure and and the the satisfaction in getting two hundred people to laugh at something and come together as a group. And there's beauty in that. And and that's why I encourage anybody, one, do it just to do it and move on with your life. Or maybe you do have it. Maybe you have the bug. I don't know. But again, go fail. Fail at everything. And that's what I wish I would have learned to been more comfortable with sooner in life. It's just, just it's okay to fail constantly. Yeah. It's so important to to take those experiences that you have, though, and to like see what you get out of that and to learn out of that. So I guess in that respect... What do you think is your biggest failure, just like as as that human that we were talking about earlier? And what did you learn from that failure? Like in life in general? Yeah. Biggest failure in life? I didn't have the guts to go after this sooner. I I the first time I was ever really on stage at a club, I was in college. I was twenty. I was I was suffering from a lot of depression. I was unhappy in school. I was I had no clue. What I, I was there because that's what you're supposed to do. I didn't like it. I didn't thrive in any way. I was binge drinking because of depression. Like I was I was a mess of a person. And 
my therapist was like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I've always liked stand up. And she was like, well, that's your homework. You have to do it. In three months, you have to get on stage. And I did. And it actually went well. And it scared the shit out of me. And I didn't do it again for 10 years. Really? Because I felt that like, well, how am I going to top that? Like it went well. And I don't know how I did it. I don't know if I could do it again. And it was terrifying. And so it was a success. That was success scared the shit out of me. Yeah. It still does. It still does. Because what if you're not as good as everyone? Everyone, you know, you get off stage. And like I said before, you get off stage and the audience will come up to you if you had a, a, a good set. And like, that was so funny, man. Oh, that was great. You're so funny. Da, da, da. But in your head, you're like, again, I, I forgot that one joke. I flubbed that word. I forgot that tag. This whole thing didn't work the way I thought it was going. Like, I'm, I can destroy the best sets I've ever had. Because there's still failures in some way, but I, so as far as my biggest failure, I think it was it was the fe- it was the fear of failure was my biggest failure that I had, which which I mean of course you're afraid of failure and you should be like, um, um, Louis C.K. said one time that like if you don't have butterflies before you go on stage because somebody asked him like you're 25 years in do you still have butterflies he's like yeah, if you don't yeah. you don't care and if you don't care. It show like then then what does it even matter? Why are you going on stage if you don't care if it goes well? What are you going on stage for? Kind of thing. So yeah, I think I think the 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 freedom to fail I wish was the biggest failure because it kept me the fear kept me from doing the things I actually wanted to do, and I think that that that's in all of us. You know, I think that's you know problem. <laughs> I had a weird thing. I was at. I worked at SeaWorld a couple of years ago. I was a performer. Uh, there, there's a sea lion and otter show. And it was really interesting. And SeaWorld's its own political conversation. Yeah. Um, but being inside and being a performer, I got to see that these trainers love these animals. They're doing these amazing things. Like, it's they're doing everything they can, whether the system itself or the way it was d- developed, or the you know, there's so many other things that can be talked about. But I will say that the people that are working with these animals love these animals so much, and that made me feel a lot better about it. But oh, but at one point, my boss brought there's some like group of high school kids visiting, and she was like, Hey, like today, we're gonna bring some kids down to the theater in between shows. Would you like talk to them and just you know about you're a comic and you're a writer and you perform here and just, you know, talk to them. They're about to graduate and go to college. And, you know, it's just like a mentor thing. Like a few minutes with you, they can ask you questions and stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. Bring them by. And so these kids come by and my boss and the lady that's like in charge of these kids, they stand like 10 feet away. They're like over to the side sitting while I'm talking to these kids. And these kids are like 17 years old. And they're like, you know, they had like a couple of questions. But then I turned on and I was like, well, what do you want to do? And he had something like, I want to be a, a neuro, neuro blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, you want to be a doctor. That's amazing. Like, you want to be a doctor? Like, how did you're 17? How did you want to be a doctor? He was like, well, my parent, you know, my mom's, a, I think like one of them, like my mom was a doctor. And, and I just find it fascinating that I was like, that's really cool. That's what, as long as it's what you want. Is yeah. it what you want? He's like, well, yeah, I think so. And I was like, well, that's, you know, well, you're 17. Like, yeah, you you should try some stuff. Like, I'm not saying don't do it, but what do you want? 
it was that moment of realization for him, right? That he's like, wait, is that is that actually what I want to do? Yeah, and and like the girl, and I kind of stopped both of them. I said, listen, and I literally pointed at their like teacher or whoever this person was. Like, listen, she doesn't know what's best for you. Your yep. parents don't know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. But here's what I know: you're gonna die someday. And my <laughs> boss is looking at me like, what are you doing? What are you? You're supposed to be encouraging them to go to college and get good grades. And I'm like. College isn't the move, maybe. Maybe you don't have to go to college. What, do you, what, what is college going to do for you? And right. my boss is just like, this is not what we thought. Like, this is not shut what up, we're shut up, shut up. And I'm like, your parents <laughs> don't know what's right. You, you know, like, like, don't listen to anybody. Like, don't, don't take it as, as it's, it's, it's concrete. They, they only know what's best for them, and they don't even know that. So, like, you need to decide. This is your life. If, if you really want to be a doctor, go be the best goddamn doctor there is. But if you're only doing this for them, don't do it. You yeah. want to be a, a, a you, you want to make pottery? You go make the best damn pottery there is. That's the, like do you go and go make pottery? Go be the best. Two years. Yep. Yeah. Or go be the worst and realize I'm not a pottery guy. I thought I was. <laughs> it sounded cool, but I go do that. You know, that's the weird thing is I think we put so much pressure, especially on our youth. And just on and everybody is like, no, 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 like you need to figure out your thing and then go do that for the rest of your life. And it's like, uh, uh-uh. that sounds what a no, horrible life. Not like, the way you, you do that. Book should, your book should have chapters. Like I look at my book and I'm like, I had high school chapter and then I had college chapter and then I had the, the 10 years of being in construction chapter and my first marriage that's in that chapter. And then I became a comedian and that opened that. And then I was a comedian that got married again. And that's part of that new chat. You know, I've had tons of different jobs. I've been lived in a number of different places in the country. Like if you don't have chapters, what you, I don't know. I feel bad for you. Cause I think there's so much more you could have experienced than given a shot and maybe just been, had a better understanding of yourself, you know? Yeah. Now when they hired you at SeaWorld, did you tell them like, hey, by the way, like I've got all these great thoughts about life and philosophy. And if you put me in front of children, I will tell them that their parents don't know shit about life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I keep my mouth shut when I need to eat. There you go. Yeah. That week, you see, you'd gotten like a pay raise the week before and you're like, ah, I have a bit of a bumper in case I get fired. Working there, I've been working there. I put on good shows like, you know, with, with what we we're doing. Um, but I'm also not one to bite my tongue. Like I'm inappropriate. It's what makes me good at being comedy. It also is what, you know, kept me out of trouble growing up. Like I wasn't the class clown, but I was the one that could get away. Like I, what I realized my biggest skill that I have is that I am very good at saying the worst thing possible at the exact <laughs> right moment that makes it funny enough that they can't be angry at you because they're laughing that's the skill like as a child i could get away with saying things in classrooms and to teachers because if they're laughing it's really hard to tell you you're in trouble yeah because because they're enjoying it they don't want to enjoy it but they are enjoying it yeah like i get it what i just said was totally inappropriate for a school setting in a classroom but everyone's laughing so uh <laughs> I'll, at the same time next week, like I'll be here. So, yeah, exactly. We're gonna take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsor. 
So guys, I know they have been reopening a lot of different places, probably around you, but I know for a fact that your favorite places are probably still shut down. Have no fear, Studio 15 Artisans and Juanita's Adventures are here, okay? They have these fantastic art maps. You've heard me talk about them before. I have one of my own uh, from DC and it looks fantastic. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm really missing DC right now. You know, I graduated, if you call virtual graduation a graduation, um, and I'm really missing DC. This helps me keep my mind off of it. It, you know, reminds me of home, but in a way that, that is just so sweet and on all the beauty that DC has to offer. Make sure you grab one yourself. Go to juanitas.etsy.com and then use code STAY SAFE in all caps. That's gonna get you 15% off of those art maps. They are fantastic. Also, make sure you check Studio 15 Artisans out on Instagram. They have the same name. It's just Studio 15 Artisans. Super easy. All right, and we will get right back into the interview. What is What do you think is like the worst thing that you've said at the right moment in your life where everyone was just laughing so hard that they, they couldn't take the time to get upset with you? The worst. I'm making you think today. This is a thinking podcast. Okay, Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner sometime around ninth, uh, maybe 2000, somewhere like between 2000 and 2003. It was Christmas dinner. And my family, we were all in, at, my, at my parents' house, my two older brothers, my aunt, my uncle. It might have been, it might have actually been before that. It might have been late 90s because my grandma was there now that I think about it. So it's like Christmas dinner. Like we have family friends over, my family's there, an aunt and an uncle, some cousins, a grandma, and we're sitting at the table. And I said something that made my dad laugh harder than I've ever seen him laugh. And somebody was talking about the dog and somebody made a comment and it might've been my mom made a comment that like, ah, Chris loves the dog more than he loves me. And Chris is my father's name. And I, and I just chimed up out of nowhere. I was like, well, yeah, cause Josie will lick anything. <laughs> and my dad <laughs> lost his shit it was like he laughed so hard and oh he was God. embarrassed that he was laughing and like but he couldn't stop laughing couldn't stop <laughs> a comment to say at christmas dinner with grandma and cousins and very people. appropriate and yep yeah the dog licking and it not an approach like that was one that has stuck with me where like that and in my mind like my dad passed away about 14 15 years ago now and that is a memory that still pops in my head of like, my dad never got to see me do comedy. He never got to see me do this. And, and, but I still have this memory of like, I used to be able to make my dad laugh. I, I would perform for my dad constantly, like as a kid, like from age five, I remember doing like just jokes or things or like I would repeat comedy stuff I'd seen on TV to my dad and get him to laugh. But that, that moment, and him laughing the way he was where you could tell he was like embarrassed to be laughing and wanting to tell me that that was an inappropriate thing to do. But he just couldn't do nothing to it. Like that sticks with me and that's like a very happy moment for me. That's great. That's awesome. I feel like that sort of humor is 
that's got to be it's it's not necessarily innocent especially when you're saying the dog will like anything um but it's it's like letting people let go of like you were talking about earlier like any problems that they're having and it's kind of like that's like the the purest form of comedy when they're like i know i shouldn't be laughing but this is just so naturally and and in the moment so funny that like i'm just gonna let loose no matter what and that's that's got to be the truest form of comedy. Here's the thing, though. You're saying it like it's a choice. That's the beauty of comedy. And that's something that's like, I've definitely thought about it more in the past couple of years, like as I got deeper into, into comedy, where laughter is not a controlled response. Laughter is mm-hmm. not, you know, it's nobody's like, I'm going to go to this comedy show and I'm going to laugh at the jokes. They go to it going like, oh, this should be funny, right? It's comedy. This should be funny. But when the punchline hits, they don't know it's coming. They are having an involuntary reaction to an exterior um, stimulation. So, and that's where like the power really comes in, like in, in recognizing the power of the timing of the silence. You know, when you're on stage, there's a room here in San Diego, the American Comedy Co. It's in a basement low ceiling, really dark, holds about 200 people. The stage is in the corner of the room, brick walls behind you. Like it's a club, it's in a basement, it's dark, it's, it's, it's low ceiling, it's tight, everybody is crammed in. The psychology of the room is perfect, which people have, don't recognize. There's so much psychology that goes into the setup of a comedy room that changes what the show can be and the energy of the room. Like there's so much at play, but this room is just designed perfectly. And the power that you have and the strength in the silence where I know that if I'm, I'm going into this bit and I'm doing the setup and I know that I get them to this point where 200 people are leaned in, holding their breath, waiting for this thing that's coming at them, that I know what's coming. They don't know what's coming. And I, I just, I lift that and I tee that moment up right, right there. And then you sit right in the silence for the exact right amount of time, which is just a little bit longer than is comfortable. And then you hit them with that punchline and you release this, like the silence, the thickness of that silence, of that beat you took where they're just hanging and waiting and you're just getting ready to just drop it on the power there. And the oneness of the room, the entire room is a full group mind. Consciousness has gone from 200 consciousnesses to one audience, one showroom, one group of people. All the energy is focused right into the corner of that room. And then you drop that punchline and they all explode in, which is a release of tension. You've created all, right. all this tension. You hit them with the punchline. They all literally throw their heads back in laughter that they were not planning on. They did not agree to. They didn't consciously say, that was funny. I'm going to laugh now to express that I found it funny. Ha, ha, ha. They went, (gasps) they couldn't even help it. And that is the most powerful, beautiful moment. And that's where I think that, like, you have this group of people, and for those however long you're on stage – they're not in control. You have totally wiped their mind clean of everything and all the stress at home and the bills to be paid and the car needs gas and the oil needs changing and that report needs to go for work and my kids' recitals on Thursday and I got to help my other kid with that project and my, my wife has really been, she wants to have a date night and I want to have one too 
And you know what? We haven't been as close as we have. And my mom's getting older and my, you know, my brother really needs help financially. And I don't know if I'm in a position that I can help. And the dog has cancer. What the fuck? A dog has cancer. Well, yeah, dogs get cancer and that's on my plate. Like, if you go down the list of shit that everyone worries about all the goddamn time, and then you take that, that list and you just crumple up and throw it or leave it outside the club, because when they're seated there and they're in that moment and they're leaning in to whatever you're doing, and then you sit in the silence where their whole body is just on edge, like, what is happening? And then release them. Everything else in their life doesn't even exist. And yeah. they're only right here. They're only in this moment. They're only here with you. They're experiencing something that these 200 people are the only ones experiencing. And these 200 people will never be in the same room again. It is, it is such a special moment that people don't realize. When you're part of an audience at a comedy show and Sorry. you're never going to be in that, this will never happen again. These jokes will be told hundreds of more times. But never to this audience, never on this day, never at this time, never in this room with these people ever again. So it's such a special moment to be a part of and to experience. And it's so powerful because it, it just it really is a break. Comedy is something I, it's going to be so interesting to see it open back up. Right now, there's shows happening, and they're doing like 25% occupancy and things like that, which is great because it allows clubs to open back up. But like we were t I said before, the psychology of it is horrible. As soon as you put space between people, they are way less likely to laugh because we're all self-conscious. and we They're not as comfortable it, in that moment. Well, here's the thing. They don't feel like they're one of the audience. They feel like they're their own little group. So if you have two people here and then you have two people at the next table, like these two people see each other in their peripheral, but in their mind, they can't really see detail. So their subconscious says, well, I can't see his detail, which means he can't see my detail. Nobody can see me. But as soon as you separate them and you have this group over here and this group here, and this, like now you see them in your peripheral, but then when you, 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 because of that, you look and now you can see their face and your subconscious says, well, if I can see their face, they can see my face. I don't want to look like an idiot. I'm going to be guarded with my responses and guarded with my laughter. And I'm going to put up a little bit of a filter because I don't want to look like a moron. And so the psychology at play will be different now, you know. But I think it will be very good for people to get back out. And I think after all this, it's funny. Like, I don't think people are going to go to movies. I don't think people want to sit in a dark room and watch TV, even if it's a giant, huge movie screen. I think we've done that. I think everyone's been doing that for months. I think people are going to want live music, live comedy. They're going to want to be outdoors. Um, yep. you know, I, and, and I think that's all good. I think that's going to be positive changes. The, the, the hard part will be with like the occupancy and the safetyness of it, which we need to be safe. We need to be, you know, figure out how we can reduce the, the, the potential for contamination or contact, you know, things like that. So right. it's going to be interesting, but I think it's going to be so necessary and good for people. I mean, like I said, laughter is the best medicine. And I agree. I, you know, it's it's important and it's great yeah. to just get a break from all the stress and just have somebody make you laugh i agree i think that's that's why comedy is so important um and and kind of to to segue off of that a little bit um we're also seeing really interesting things happen now in 2020 or even like back to 2019 
in comedy where all of a sudden if something crosses a certain line it's no longer like okay maybe they shouldn't have said that or that was like you know that was maybe like a bad joke or like you know they felt bad about laughing at it it's now like okay now you're on trial and now you're in trouble because you said something that people didn't like do you think that's going to get worse as we continue on i hope common sense steps in i think the issue that i think the biggest issue with that is that every one of those scenarios i feel this i i first let me preface this i'm an idiot i don't know what i'm talking about this is my thought right now and tomorrow i might think more on this and be like i was 100 wrong because most of the time i am so but I, I think most of the time in those situations as soon as you leave that comedy club it's out of context and nobody else can understand exactly what happened unless somebody is straight up screaming abusive hurtful speech if they're telling a joke and the 200 people in that room laugh at that joke there's nothing wrong with that joke nothing at all now i'm talking general population general comedy club on any place if you're if you're the comic that got hired to do the kkk rally one you shouldn't have taken that job uh yeah. Two, you should probably call the authorities and let them know there's a rally going on. And three, if you're making racial jokes to a group of KKK people, like that's not what I'm talking about. But if you're at, if you're at a club in Oklahoma City or Minneapolis or Atlanta, Tampa, it doesn't matter. If you're in some city and you go into that room and it's just a show where people came in and it's a Saturday night for all different types of people from all different walks of life and they're in that room and they all laugh, that's where that joke, and that joke is fine. Now, not to say that there's not going to be one person that's maybe offended, one person in the room that has a little closer contact to whatever that thing was, but, you know, like Chappelle points out, you know, what I forget which special, you know, where he was talking about how you know, he has he has a, a lot of transgender fans that think it's hilarious. And 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 and, and I think he points out that like he, he like made friends with one after a show that was like, No, you're the only one talking about it. You're normalizing transgender. Yeah. Or even though you're making jokes, you're still normalizing it in the conversation of the country. Where other people are like, You shouldn't make jokes about it. You're hurting people. And it's like, Well, nobody else is talking about it. At least yeah. you're talking you know. So I think there's something where it's like I'm not saying nobody is going to be offended, but I also think like be offended and then question that. Why am I offended? Like what upset me about that particular joke or that statement? Most likely it's, it's your own lack of, it's not a lot, lack of makes it sound negative, but it's your own, how can I say this? It's an open, it's like, it's like an open cut. It's a, it's a, an, it's an exposed nerve that you are hypersensitive to probably because it's been a hard part of your life or a difficult time. Like that's anything from like, like my dad died of cancer. I am still trying to work on a great cancer bit. I have many times on stage said the funny thing about cancer is my dad died of it. That's not even a joke. I chuckle on the inside cause it's an outrageous thing to say. Right. But at the same time, you could do a hilarious cancer 
you know, section. You can have a chunk, a six minute chunk on cancer, but my dad died of cancer. I'm sensitive to it. I know that. But other people, they've had cancer. They beat cancer. Their wife died of cancer. Their mom like so real that anytime they touch that nerve, it's just pain. And I feel for you. I feel for you as a person. But I also hope that maybe you can, in a group of those 200 people that aren't as sensitive, maybe you laugh because they're all here to support you. Because these other 199 people are letting you know it's okay to laugh at everything. It's all funny. I believe that. Everything can be every single thing. There is nothing that shouldn't be touched. And if you do it properly, it only shines light. It only raises awareness. It only puts it safer into the lexicon of, of, of society. Um, so, I, you know, to me, it's like, the cancer cancel culture that we're in, that, I don't know, that's a term that's used. It right. makes sense. But I also think most, it's, you know, it's, it's the pendulum. The pendulum is swinging. Yep. Where are we in political correctness? Where are we in everything? Well, it's, it's never stopping. Like political correctness isn't, we're just not going to keep going. We're going to get really, really sensitive, which I think we have been. Yep. Part of, rightfully so. Rightfully so. It's okay to be upset about things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay to be like, hey, the people doesn't fucking like it when you talk when you say that word. Or when you yeah. say when you talk about people like that or when you generalize. Bring that shit up. Hell yeah. yeah. People don't I don't want to say something that hurts you. But but like let's have a real conversation. You know what I mean? Right. But to do to have that conversation, somebody needs to light fires. Yep. Somebody needs to set a fire and be like, no, no, I need everyone to know that this is not okay. Like, there's a whole group of people that it, this is not okay. And let's light the fires to show everybody. Like, I'm sending out smoke signals, people. Like, we got a problem right here. Okay, cool. Now let's put the fire out and build a table to sit around out of the rest of the firewood and, and talk it out. And get, every, you know, everyone should want to be better. Everyone should want to be more empathetic towards our, our neighbors and our community. I hope that's something that comes out of this. I think with the shutdown and even with the, the, the marches and the protests, I hope, I think people are talking to their neighbors more than they've ever talked to, more, not ever, more than they've talked to their neighbors in a very long time. Yes. I have had more across the street conversations with neighbors than I've had in the past eight years, right? Because there's nothing else to do. You might as well. And your neighbor matters now. What's your neighbor doing? Yes. Are they having parties? Are they going to the store? Like I've had, I've had neighbors in the past what four months now, three months. I've I've had texts from neighbors that I've never had a, a message back and forth from really. It's like I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? That's so new, and I think it's happening everywhere, and it's beautiful because I think that's the biggest thing that I think we've lost in this country because that's the only country I've lived in. So I don't know about the rest of the world. And I, and I'm saying this country as if I can speak for the whole country, but I think we have lost a huge sense of community. I think we all have our big screen TVs. We all have our phones. You see even families, they're out to dinner and I'm guilty of it too. I go to dinner with my friends and I pull up my phone and I'm like, and I remind myself like, Hey, you're, you're don't be an idiot. You're sitting here with actual people. 
But I think through this, people have had a reconnection with their community, their neighborhood. And that's where you look at, I, I look at the whole political thing and I look at the news and I look at our government and I look at the politics at play. And I'm like, people get so up in arms about who the president is. When the truth is, your city councilman has more impact on your day-to-day -day life than the president. Yep. But people don't care about local elections, though. I'm that person. I don't. Yeah. Know, I, I don't know my councilman's name. I don't. But I know. I. I am more. I am more aware of that now than I ever have. And in my mind, it's like that's what Matt. And that's hopefully what this becomes is a sense of community of like, like, let's pick up our own backyard before we're worried about other backyards. Like, and if my neighbor needs help picking up his backyard, let's pick up his and let's all chip in and paint the fence and clean the streets and work in our, in our start at your house and start working your way out, clean up your yard, clean, help clean up your neighbor's yard, move down the street with your hedge climbers and your garbage can, the pickup track, like let's get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and, and I think there's, there's strength in that. There's more, there's so much strength in that. And, and I think there's, I think we're going to see a change in that. I think a lot of these, the protests are, are shedding a light on, on something as far as like the, the situation with police and the job that we have asked police to do that don't really fall under the police's, you know, I mean, the, the, once we militarized our police and now that they're handling domestic disputes and they're handling, you know, they, they, they've taken on all this stuff that they're honestly not trained for. They're not qualified for these things. And it's like, yeah, wow, somebody brought that up. And it actually makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of sense. Like, we're let's asking, have that conversation and let's get, yeah, you know, let's start making changes. Aren't good at de-escalating situations. They've had minimal training about psychological de-escalation. And, you know, I, so I hope that people are realizing like, oh, let's fix our communities. Let's work locally. What was it? Biodome. What was it? Think, think globally, act. Was I forget the quote. Think globally, act locally, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So... And I think that's where it starts. You want to change the world, you got to start in your neighborhood. You know? Yeah. So hopefully that we see the, the repercussions uh, and the long-lasting effects of the virus itself and the way communities have pulled together to get through it, um, the, the situation and, and the movement of you know, Black Lives Matter and the protests and things like that. Like, it's oddly the greatest time in, the, in history to be alive but we also know more than anyone has ever known ever before about how fucked up things actually are. Yeah. So it's like, well, then the, is our, which way are we trending? Are we trending better? I think we are, but we know more. So it doesn't always feel that way, but either way we know more and we're trending in the right direction, which just like to any other technology should be changing exponentially. If, we're, if we've been slowly on this rise of getting better, that should be steepening because more people have the information. Exactly, right. Until you get politics involved, until you get corporate money involved. Until, you know, I mean, that's, there's so many strings being pulled. And that's, again, where I think that's on the high level, where if we can build that foundation from our community up, we can do a lot of good. I agree. Again, I do not know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and and your opinions are subject to change by tomorrow at the earliest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
I'm wrong. Absolutely. I know that. 90% of what I just said, just like 90% of the material I write, it's not good. It's not good. We'll take the 10% that might be like, okay, and then we'll boil it down to the 1% that's like spot on. Yeah, exactly. The whole conversation, there's probably one good sentence that I say today. <laughs> that's what we'll release too. We'll do a single sentence. Sentence. Yes, yes, exactly. This is James Schrader, his entirety right here in this sentence. And it's, I go for eyes and dicks. That's what I do. <laughs> if there's anything you leave this podcast knowing, it's that if you're really in a pinch, the eyes and the dick, let's just go for those, grab, grab one and poke the other or vice versa, either way. But just when, once you have it, you don't let go. You just, you better clamp on like a pit bull. And don't let go. Exactly. James, thank you so much for coming on Tots. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again soon. Oh, yeah, please. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If anyone's still listening, uh, I'm always shocked. <laughs> so uh, thank you. It was great talking. Have a great afternoon. Love yourself. Love your neighbor. Fail all the way to the top. Uh, be good to people. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely. Have awesome. a good one. Thanks for having me. You too. You. Bye. All right, and that is going to do it for our episode. Thanks again to James and our sponsor, Studio 15 Artisans. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you would like to listen to our other fantastic episodes, you can find them on any platform that has podcast hosting. You can also find them at our two websites, www.marketwithben forward slash tots and www.totspodcast.com. Please give those a listen. Also, if you really enjoyed these episodes, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon. You can also find that at our website. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I'll see you next time.